take the right door on your way down. There's no telling where you'll end up. Can you make it through? To the night's end. again friend and no surprises this time eh you can't listen to any of the liars down here you don't know what they've done the man we spoke to last week drove a whole busload of people off a cliff yeah I know horrible though we had an influx of fresh food for the things I suppose that aside Bruce is a bad man unlike me huh (laughs) Well, anyway, do you know what happens when you look a little too close into the dark? Well, our friend in this story can tell us. I think it's this door over here. Ah, yes, here it is. Shadows Within Shadows, written by Harris Cavalier. One night out last month I was able, in a very rare instance, to convince a lovely young woman to come home with me for a bit of fun. It was all going well. We kissed on the couch, and it was she who suggested a trip up to the bedroom. The problem arose, however, when we entered shoeless on the verge of our indulgence. She noticed the child's nightlight I had permanently on. What's that? She asked. You have kids? No, no, I replied. I just don't like the dark. Like, at all. It certainly killed the mood, and after we had chatted on the sheets for a little while, she left. She never called me back. I don't care though. I'm not turning off that nightlight. And as I sit here now, it reminds me all too well of what the blackness can bring. I clicked shut down, after which the tower quickly powered down and I was left looking at the blinking red graphic on the screen with its ugly Vedana typeface. No signal. After a few moments of attempting to hypnotise myself with the blinking, I reached for the blue lit button on the lower right edge of the screen and popped it off. It was 1am exactly, and the day for me was finally over. My body was tired, but my mind was fully awake and my eyes alert, if riddled with inflamed veins. I spun my swivel chair away from the desk and sat there, looking into the darkness. Checking my phone for the first time, it shone 102. Beautiful, I thought. Just beautiful. When you're a copywriter, you make your own hours. I typically slept from midnight until around 10 in the morning. Did any day stuff while the other class of drones were in work or school. And then I would slink back to my upstairs flat in a converted terrace to work a minimal shift of seven hours, broken only by a microwaved meal of carbs in a nondescript source to keep my energy up. It wasn't too bad of a thing to spend the best years of your life writing an emotionally charged description for a deck chair you've never actually sat in, and which would probably break the second the cheap fat ass of the purchaser was saddled into it. But I'm a writer. It's the only thing I'm good at. Writing keeps me fed, keeps the lights on, 
the body warm, even if it's commercial shit that's being typed. It wasn't unusual for me to sit in the dark for a while and cool off after a particularly long assignment, this time it being a romantic fiction anthology I hadn't read. I liked the isolation, or at least I think I did. Loneliness is often remodeled by its sufferers as willful solitude. After I put my phone down, the blue light of the modem next to the PC tower drifted away from the shore of my vision, like a sailorless boat on a dead sea, until it no longer registered. The space adjacent to the stairs, where my desk was wedged, was cramped and away from any windows. The door to other rooms were closed, and so no residual light from the street leaked in. I breathed slowly in and out. I licked my lips and then let them dry. As I stared into the shadows, I let my eyes blur and moisten, and then blinked to clear them. It was the height of summer, and the air was still thick with the day's heat. I let my mind wander and I considered the big questions about meaning and truth, in the abstract at any rate. As I did so, I continued to stare into the corner of the landing, where I knew the intimidating cobweb with its tubular threads that could not be moved by conventional hoovering was stuck to the wall, and which I assumed was staring right back at me. I deepened my gaze even more as I thought, and I felt my consciousness begin to shift forwards through space, even as my body remained still. Any sound from outside the flat was so distant that it might as well have been a whisper on Mars. My eyesight fluttered and waved with colours lifted from elsewhere as I stared, red dots and blue streaks arising, and I made a game of it to fight through these disturbances to the dark beyond. I strained my sight and beat them back in battles that were minutes on end, until at last I break through their front and entered the world of a blackness purer than any I had ever experienced, or could have before imagined. My mind was dragged by my eyes across this new world, where even gloom was too enlightening, and a strange serenity came over me. In this new blackness, beyond the darkness, there was nothing at all. No life. No death. Or no questions of meaning or truth, for such concepts were irrelevant in such a world, and irrelevance itself had no bearing. Bearings didn't have bearings. The blackness was all, and nothing at the same time. Nothing was nothing. Time was not even a possibility. Into this world in which I had stepped, my conscious being fluttered its eyelids and stared even deeper. It was then that I saw something move. At first I thought it was just another trick of human psychophysics, but as I refocused my stare, something of a similar shape, a blackness upon the blackness moved again. In shock, I stood up and turned towards the modem, its blue light shaking my eyes back into the mortal realm. What the hell was that? I thought. Was it some dust floating down? Or a large fly? Or some other insect? Maybe a moth hunting for light? No. It couldn't have been any of that. The colour of it was not a normal shade of black, never mind brown, but something else off the spectrum, and its shape could not be conventionally accounted for. It had put me in mind of a snake or an eel, but also neither of these things. In fact, perhaps nothing like them. If I had more sanity about me right then, I would have either turned on the light or gone straight to bed. The darkness of a closed eye much more bearable to human consciousness, but instead, in what some might call 
youthful arrogance. I'm not that young, but I'll take the compliment, even if it's backhanded. I decided that what I had just witnessed needed further investigation. I walked over to the corner and had a look around, using the light from my smartphone to check over the area. But I found nothing other than the familiar stubborn cobweb. I returned to my chair and sat in the same position. I looked into the same direction and began to stare, following the previous processes as before. My mind cleared as I looked across the fields of vision, leading to the one true blackness. I fought the illusions arising from my subconscious, breaking through their front once more and sailing to that purest negativity of all, that blackness beyond the darkness. I felt that I could have been there for minutes, or for hours in that state, and later realised it was closer to the latter. As my mind stood in that blackness, and my eyes stared forward and firm, I saw that same shape move in its peculiar way. I forced myself to intensify my gaze, further and further, deeper and deeper. All of my thoughts were jettisoned, and I was thrown forward into a world beyond even the new blackness. There were dozens of them, probably far more. They moved like fish through water, and seemed to be everywhere, in every shadow of the room. I had broken through all layers in their hidden domain. I observed them swim over each other, their black bodies sliding from one place in the air to another, with a grace that was inhuman but recognisable. I felt like I was a voyeur, or maybe something of an explorer. I discovered a plane of being beyond normal comprehension, and all it had taken was a little excelled and directed mental force. However, I had already overstayed my welcome. Within moments, their long bodies grew heads, or at least what I assume were heads, and within, in those heads, quickly grew teeth. In a rapid torrent, they swirled towards me, a pit of snakes overturned into my path. I panicked and tried to withdraw, but I had spent so long in their world that it was hard for my mind to retreat. I raised my hands in front of me as the lead creature, as angry at my intrusion as a homeowner confronting a burglar, bit into my left index finger. I screamed and lunged for my computer screen. I clicked the power button and the logo for its manufacturer lit up the room. My visual senses returned to normal, and as the screen reverted to a fuzzy grey before powering back down, I looked at my finger. A stinging red slash across the top was readily apparent even in the gloom. I grabbed the keys off my desk. I managed to maintain enough sense for that, and leaving my phone and wallet, ran out of my flat and into the road, and basked in the light of the street lamps and the stars. I was so happy to see them, you could never possibly comprehend it without the same experience. A chill wind was coming in from the west, and turned the sweat under my shirt into icy smears. But I was not going back into the flat to get a jacket. At that point, I was thinking I might never go back into that place again, live on the streets if I had to. I was lucky to have a tissue to wrap my finger in, and decided to walk off into the night. I haunted the streets for some time, noticing by the town clock that I had been absorbed in my explorations for over two hours, and eventually I came across a cafe that serviced the people who worked at the slaughterhouses, who started extremely early. I was, in fact, their first customer that morning when I walked in. The woman at the counter was concerned about my finger, and offered to get out the first aid kit. 
but I waved her off, telling her I had scratched it on a gate down the road, and I just needed a drink to take my mind off it. In my trouser pocket, I found a pound coin, which fortunately was good enough for two coffees over the next couple of hours. I sat at a hidden table as the first shift at the slaughterhouses came in and then out, followed by the second. The coffee at that price, of course, tasted like bitter pond water, but it had at least had enough caffeine in it to keep my brain focused and my body awake. I began with the thought, what the hell just happened? An external observer would say I had had a psychotic episode, brought on by stress or loneliness. I definitely had those issues, but that didn't explain the finger or even the suddenness of such a psychosis. You did not go mad all at once. It was a gradual process. The trump card of the situation's reality was my injury. No psychosis could do such a thing, unless I had done it to myself to try to prove it to someone. But that in itself made no sense. I had no desire to tell anyone of this, nor believe it myself. Besides, I'd felt that jagged tooth tear through my skin into my flesh, try to take a bite out of me for daring to look too deeply. It was an action of hate, but also probably fear on its own end. So what did it all mean? As the dawn broke and I was left draining off my second coffee, I began to think back to my childhood, memories now buttressed by the nightlight's glare. Back to staying at my grandparents' house up north and hearing them argue all night long. Lying in bed, I would close my eyes tight and hope for sleep. However, on some nights, over the nasty din of their rowing, I would instead stare into the darkness, as I did that last night, and I would hold to that stare, dragging it out without blinking, until something was spied, and I threw the sheets over my head, praying to God that the monsters would not get me, so I had seen them before albeit with a juvenile mind and a juvenile imagination. I did not develop my entire theory straight away, but I did formulate the basics as I finished that cup. What children see in the dark, and what the supposedly mad and demented also see there, is, for at least part of the time, a real phenomenon. It would also go some way in explaining why so many otherwise sensible people throughout history, have insisted that they have seen demons, or fairies, or aliens in the dead of night. If reality is all perception, and sight is a means by which we perceive reality, then it only makes sense that there are different levels to existence, usually imperceptible, until we force ourselves to alter our normal perception and try to reach those other levels. And it only makes sense that on these usually unperceived levels, there exists other life, which we cannot conceive of in a traditional sense. This life exists and has evolved on their plane as much as we have on ours. And we have usually existed in harmony thanks to our existential differences. Consider a large alabaster rock sat in the desert, pretty solid and impassable to virtually all mammals, reptiles and birds. But there are life forms so small as to consider a journey through it but a minor inconvenience. Maybe not even to consider it an inconvenience at all. And yet, all these creatures exist within the same physical space of that desert, 
as we corporeal beings do with these creatures of the deep blackness. What separates us from these creatures is not spatial, but observational. And to break the barriers of our territories is to force our attentions on each other, which invites terrible disruptions. I had been lucky on this one occasion and knew that I would not risk it again, even though I had no want to do so. After that night, I quit my job as a copywriter and stopped staying up late. I chanced upon a more standard nine to five-ish job, writing related too. I managed to scrape enough money together to get a better place to live. I settled down in myself, got some confidence, started going out into the real world, chatting with strangers, taking in some humanity. But I'm not ever turning off that nightlight. Doing so might bring about the apocalypse. You've been listening to the Night's End Podcast, which is a production of Dissonance Media. Shadows Within Shadows was written by Harris Coverley. If you've enjoyed this story, go on over and follow Harris on Twitter at HA underscore Coverley, C-O-V-E-R-L-E-Y. Please remember to leave a review and a five-star rating as it helps us reach more people. Until next time, stay horrific, everyone. <laughs>